Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5 today. So what we're doing, if you're joining us for the first time perhaps, or maybe you're watching online for the first time, we are going through the book of Acts. Typically this is what we do as a church family is we take some portion of scripture and we make our way through it. Uh, the idea being that the Bible, all of the Bible is important and we don't want to cherry pick what we identify as important. And so, so we'll take a book and we'll look at it in the context and we'll just kind of look at uh, several verses, usually every week. Today's a little bit of a different journey today as we go through the book of Acts. We're going to rest our attention on one verse in Acts and then a bunch of verses all over Scripture. Uh, from time to time, this will happen as we go through the book of Acts because there's something mentioned or there's a concept mentioned that really uh, begs us to take a little extra time to develop it. And so typically, we'll take a narrative piece and we'll look at the layman being healed and we'll take a dozen verses and we'll look at them. Today's a little bit different. We're just going to look at one verse from Acts chapter 5. But then we'll unpack it with several other verses. In fact, if you look at your outline today, or if you have the Bible app, you'll notice there's a bunch of verses associated with today's scripture. And so there on the front, there is a ton of verses listed. Uh, these are the verses I went through this week as I studied and as I kind of prepared. We'll look at several of them. We won't look at all of them. But this is a resource for you. So you can maybe later this week kind of take a look at it and uh, get some better context uh, for what scripture has to say around today's subject. Today we're going to be looking at the fear of God. The fear of God. And you might have heard that uh, if you grew up in church at all. If you've read scripture in the Old Testament, uh, we are, we are uh, reading a lot of scriptures today from Deuteronomy and some of the older passages in the Bible where people were asked to fear God, fear the Lord. Now, what we've seen so far in the book of Acts, and if you've noticed as we've gone through the book of Acts, we usually take two or three minutes to review what we're talking about. There's a couple of reasons why this is important. If you were here the last week before, this gives you a chance to just uh, refresh your minds. But if you weren't here, it's especially important for you so that you kind of catch up to where we are in Acts chapter 5 and verse 11. So in Acts chapter 1, what ends up happening is we see the promise of the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is kind of the cornerstone verse of the book of Acts. And he says this there. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. And in other words, everything you see, touch, and experience, you yourselves will then be able to share with others. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. So that happens in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, the actual Holy Spirit comes down and it's miraculous. It is amazing. It comes down and all of a sudden the, the people that are waiting there in the upper room are now filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking to each other in languages that they've never learned. Languages that they're not fluent in. And so as they preach the word of God, people in the audience from different parts of uh, the known world, hear the gospel for the very first time in the language that they grew up with. It's the day known as Pentecost, and Pentecost is signified by 50 days 
after Easter. And so on June 5th, which will be our Pentecost Sunday this year, April 17th was Easter, but, uh, but June 15th will be Pentecost. Uh, on that day, we're going to have a special Sunday called Pentecost Sunday. We're just going to sing songs about the Holy Spirit. We're going to have a special message just talking about the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it's going to be a really special Sunday. But this is what happens in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 also is where Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people come to know who Jesus is. Uh, the lame beggar is healed in Acts chapter 3. Peter preaches another message. Um, and after that second message, and after the lame beggar is healed, people start getting uh, really nervous about what's happening. It gets the attention of the religious elite, and they end up arresting Peter and John and placing them in prison overnight while they figure out what they're going to do with these two men. The believers, in response to that, pray for more boldness. And as Peter and John are released, the Bible describes it this way, they experienced more grace more power, and in response, they just became very uh, generous with one another. All of that happens, and then we get to Acts 5, which we covered last week, Ananias and Sapphira, these two individuals who pretended to be more spiritual than they were, and in that process, they lied to their church family, they lied to Peter, and they lied to the Holy Spirit, and for their sin, they were judged quickly, fully, and absolutely. The Bible describes how that uh, when they both lied to Peter, in the moment that they lied about the gift that they had given to the church, they both fell dead. And then we get to Acts chapter 5 and verse 11, and this is the verse we read. After Ananias and Sapphira have died, Acts chapter 5 verse 11, let's read this together actually. Ready, begin. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. No kidding, right? Thousands of people are being saved. Peter preaches two sermons, and two of the preachers are thrown in prison, and then they're released. Ananias and Sapphira uh, see the example set by Barnabas by a gift being given, and all of the proceeds of the sale of land are gifted to someone. Ananias and Sapphira want to do the same thing, but they, they sell it for, uh, for however much money they sold it for, and they kept back a portion of the proceeds, but they told everyone else, we gave it all, we gave it all. And in that moment, they both die, and this is the verse we read, great fear came upon the whole church. So in this verse, there's two words we're just going to unpack, the word fear, but first the word church. So... If you're following in your notes, Acts 5 verse 11 is the first time followers of Jesus Christ are called the church. This is very exciting things. Uh, the church, the Greek word for that is ekklesia. Everyone say that word together, ekklesia. Ekklesia was used in Greek culture to describe a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into a public place. So whenever there was a gathering of people outside of their homes in a public place, they would use this word, there's an ecclesia. Now what ended up happening in Acts chapter 2 is uh, now these uh, thousands of people are identifying with Jesus, and now this group of people are now being referred to as the church, the ecclesia. And so from Acts chapter 5 going forward, most of the time this word ecclesia is used in culture is for this reason, they are a called-out assembly of Jesus' followers. 
a called out assembly. As I was studying this word and the verbiage, it made me realize why the last two years have been so difficult for us. Because by and large, it became difficult for us to gather. And the whole premise of being a church is that we're called out of our homes together. We're called out as a gathering of people. In fact, there, there's probably some of you watching online today and you're still in that moment where you're trying to figure out what does it look like to gather with other Jesus followers and maybe uh, you're struggling with that. Um, I would ask you to pray to God to give you a vision for what it looks like to gather with other believers. Because when you identify what scripture identifies as uh, a church, it'll lead you to a group of people. You say, Daniel, you, I can worship out in nature. It's true, you can, but we're called out to be together. You say, I can do it on my own. You can, but in addition to that, we're called to be together. I'm not negating the others. I'm not negating that you can go out in nature and have a beautiful time with the Holy Spirit and with God. I'm not negating the fact that you can uh, do it on your own. But what I am saying is that to be a church, we're to be called out. We're to be called out from our homes together. And as you, uh, as you identify what Scripture identifies as the core values, you'll find that this is true. Now, this Christian church, Ecclesia, was both new and old. It's very interesting as you look at Scripture because it's new in the context of the relationship formed, the witness being uh, the witnesses that we are to be, uh, the events of the death, burial, and resurrection, and then, of course, uh, his ascension and then the sending of the Spirit, all of that was new. But in many ways, the ecclesia, the church, the called out assembly was really old as well. It was the continuation of the congregation of the Lord, which had been previously confined within the borders of a nation. Understand in the Old Testament, when you think about the people of God and the children of God, you're also thinking about the nation of God, Right? We're thinking about Israel. We're thinking about the Jewish people. And what is different as we get to the book of Acts is there's no more border on the people of God. There's no more uh, one nation with the people of God. All of us have the opportunity to be included. In fact, as you follow your notes, the church, the ecclesia, was to be open to all believers without distinction. And this is an exciting thing because it allows us who are not Jewish, who are not part of the children of God, to be a part of the family of God. Amen? So the church is now open to all believers. So the word church is used for the very first time in Acts 5.11. But we also get this other phrase, great fear came upon the church. Now, depending on your translation in front of you, it will be referred to as the fear of God, great fear, or great awe. And perhaps as Christians, we've heard of this term as we grew up, like when your dad gets home, he's going to put the fear of God in you, right? And maybe that's how we're accustomed to the fear of God. And that we're talking about is this holy trembling that's inside of us. Are we supposed to be a scared of God, though? What does this look like in our life to understand and practice the fear of God in our life. Um, so we want to unpack this for a little bit. The fear of God is a common command in the Old Testament. 
And in Acts, we're going to see it practiced. We're going to see it displayed. This is not the only time we see this phrase, the fear of God. And so today, just a little bit about the fear of God. Um, as we do, uh, by fearing God in your notes, we can avoid being trapped by the natural pull toward going our own way, the natural pull toward opposing God, and the natural pull toward succumbing to the ways of immorality. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6. We're going to start there in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to look at several different verses in the Bible, which we're in church. It's a good thing to look at the Bible. So uh, we're going to look at a ton of scripture from Old and New Testament about the fear of God. And we're going to figure out what does it look like to understand it? What does it look like to practice it? Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 says this. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel. Be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Several of the verses we're going to look at is about the children of Israel and Moses' conversations with them. This is Moses, and what he's saying is this, before we get to the promised land, these are the commands you are responsible for, fear the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, It involves several different things. First is this, we must understand that God is loving and just. We must recognize that God is loving, merciful, and forgiving, but he's equally holy, just, and righteous. So when Moses was talking with uh, God in the Old Testament, the Bible describes it, they would talk to each other like a, a man would talk to his friend. And so in Exodus 33, Moses has a conversation with God, and, and in God's uh, instructions to Moses, uh, God told Moses, I want you to go down to the children of Israel. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And in doing that, Moses had a lot of um, excuses on why he was not the right person. He told God, I'm not eloquent. I'm not a good speaker. Here's my brother instead. He told God, um, I'm not the right person. Um, he, he said, uh, to, to one point, he said, Lord, uh, who should I say is sending me? At one point during his conversation with God, he asked God to show him my, your glory. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus verse 33, verse 18 says this. Moses said, please show me your glory. In other words, show me your essence. Show me your character. Show me who you are so that when I go to Pharaoh, when I go to the children of Israel, I'll have an accurate description of who you are. This is how God responds, verse 19. He said this, I will make all my, say that next word together, goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Verse 6 says this way of uh, Exodus 33. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. And then there's that phrase, slow to anger. 
I don't know about you, but I'm glad this is part of his character. That he's slow to anger. Now, in our understanding of that phrase, it's important for us to understand that just because he is slow to anger doesn't mean that he never gets angry. Right? Because sometimes when we read a phrase like that, we'll say, well, he could never be angry at me because he's slow to anger. And so balanced with his mercy, his grace, his steadfast love and his faithfulness is in the character of God that he is slow to anger. Uh, Look at verse 7. He says this, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here it is in your notes. Knowing God and understanding his character means this. It means that we accept the fact that his justice and holiness cause him to judge sin. Fearing the Lord is to appreciate his character. So to fear fear God involves recognizing that God has an anger about sin and has the power to punish those who would stand against him. So if you think back to Genesis in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, uh, how did they react when they realized they had sinned? Do you remember what they did? Talk to me. What did they do? They covered. They hid themselves. They covered. Well, God is love, right? God is gracious, right? God is merciful. He is steadfast. Why were they compelled to hide? Because God is just. And in his justice, uh, his love, he has to be just. Moses experienced this anger as well and said, he says it this way. He said, I fear the anger and wrath of the Lord because he was angry enough with you to destroy you. In the New Testament, Hebrew says this, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Talking about God's holiness and his judgment. And the lesson of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, we talked about it last week, is that we presume on the grace of God, thinking we have more than enough time to get things right. So God is love, but God is also just. So you parents uh, this morning, what happens when you have a relationship in your, with your kids where it's all love and no justice? You get rats? Oh, brats. I don't know how you get rats, but that doesn't sound good either. (laughs) You get brats. Yeah, what ends up happening is when you have all love and no justice, you have children who are are coddled, who are sheltered. Um, Brats isn't the word I'd use, but probably 100% accurate, right? Spoiled. So, so let's, let's flip it on the other side, though. Some of, you grew in a, some of you maybe grew up in a home where it was all justice and no love. So what happens there? Well, if, you, if you're in a home where it's all justice and no love, uh, you grow up in fear. You grow up with a misunderstanding of relationships, a misunderstanding of authority, an unhealthy mistrust in your relationships. So the same thing happens 
when we tip the scales on who God is. And if we come to God with the with a view that God is love and he's nothing but love and grace and forgiveness, all of those attributes that we talked about with children being raised by parents that way, uh, they, they're, they're spoiled, they're bratty, uh, we become the same way with our Heavenly Father. We presume on his grace, we take things for granted, uh, we become bratty to our Heavenly Father. Uh, when you tip the scales and you feel like, and, and you have an approach where God is nothing but justice and there's no love to balance it out and God is rules, he's fire, he's brimstone only, he's justice only, he's uh, swift to judge only, you end up mis- misappropriating that relationship with God. You end up having um, an unhealthy fear of God, an unhealthy uh, relationship with him. So God is love and God is just. You cannot separate the two. And we would like to, but God's justice is an expression of his love and holiness. You say, Daniel, doesn't he accept me the way I am? And I will say this, of course he does. But if you read the New Testament, when Jesus accepted anyone in the New Testament, and they made a decision for him, they did not leave the same as they came. They repented, they, they, they turned back on their former way of life, and for those of us who only choose to acknowledge that God is love, it does not absolve you from his justice. So you cannot go through life and simply say, God is love, God is love, God is love. He is, but he's loving and he's just. So the first thing, To understand as we kind of understand the fear of God is to understand that God is both love and he is just. He's loving and forgiving and merciful, but he's also justice and uh, holy and he's righteous. He's both. Number two, second, we must appreciate, or I should say, when we do appreciate his character, we should be in awe of his holiness. When we appreciate his character that he is both love and just, we should be in awe of his holiness. Fearing the Lord means to be reverent in his awe, his holiness, his glory, his majesty, his purity, his power. Again, from Exodus, let's look at uh, chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19. So you see what we're doing. We're taking this one concept of Acts 5, and we're just looking at it through multiple passages of Scripture. It says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain. Sounds like May in Oregon. (laughs) And a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Look at verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on its fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. When God revealed himself to the Israelites, all of a sudden there's thunder, there's lightning, a thick cloud covering over the mountain. They trembled because of his great fear. In fact, if you read on in the passage, they even begged Moses to deliver God's message to them so they themselves wouldn't have to go to the mountain because it was too, uh, it was too dangerous. 
When the psalmist reflects on the character of God, he says it this way, Psalms 33, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. So knowing God and understanding his character means accepting the fact that his justice and his holiness will cause him to judge sin. And fearing the Lord is to appreciate his character. And when we appreciate his character, we will be in awe of his holiness. If you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to see these verses if you have your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. He gives us a beautiful picture of what happens when we come face to face with God's holiness. Isaiah 6 and verse 1 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him the Lord stood the seraphim. These are the angels of the Most High. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, let's say these words together, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4 says this, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Let's stop right there, verse 4. Isaiah has this vision and this dream of the Lord on the throne. He's robed in majesty and with glory. The train of his robe fills the temple. There's angels there, and then he hears the angels calling out these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in his vision, the foundations shook at the voice of him who called. The whole house was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah's response, verse 5. I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, Isaiah says, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I'm a part of a group, a people, a culture that has filthy lips. And I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he is holy. When we see God for who he is, the response is striking in Isaiah 6. So he has this vision. He sees the Lord. He sees the majesty, the, 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 the righteousness, the holiness of God. He sees the angels crying out for one another. And Isaiah's response is not small. It's not trite. It's not one of indifference. 
He says, woe is me. Like a proper picture of who God is should show us us at our very core. He says, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm doomed. I'm sinful. Fearing the Lord is to appreciate his character. And when we do, we will be in awe of his holiness. Number three, our recognition of his holiness can produce a stronger faith. So this is what we see in the book of Acts. The fear of God settled on the church of God and more and more people came to church. More and more people followed Jesus. More and more people grew in their faith. The church grew. The number of followers grew. And true fear of the Lord causes believers to place their faith and trust in him alone for salvation. It's interesting because after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground when they were saved early in Scripture, they saw how God destroyed the Egyptian army and then they feared the Lord and they put their trust in him. The psalmist encourages us this way. He says this, trust in the Lord because he is our help and our shield. In other words, fearing God produces this confidence, this hope, this trust in him, which aren't necessary for salvation for living a life. So those are some three things about understanding uh, what happens when we practice the fear of God, when we embrace it. When we fear God, uh, four quick things that happen. Number one, we we become obedient. If we truly fear the Lord, if we truly appreciate his his character, his holiness, uh, if we're in awe of who he is, we will then become obedient. One reason why God inspired fear in the Israelites at Mount Sinai was so they might learn to avoid and reject sin. The psalmist says it this way in Psalms 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. Ecclesiastes sums up uh, the duty of man this way. Fear God and keep his commandments. And on the contrary, anyone who is content to live apart from God... The psalmist describes it this way, there's no fear of God in him. So when we fear God, we become obedient. Um, Where's the next step in your life where you feel like you just need to obey God? So think about it with me. Where's the next step in your life where you feel like you just need to um, obey obey God? Uh, Maybe for some of us, it's in our finances. We know we should be giving. We've been taught how to give. But for some reason, it's really difficult right now to give. Uh, What is the next place for you where you need to obey God? Uh, Maybe there's a relationship where you need to offer or grant forgiveness. And you know you need to just obey God there. Maybe for some of you online, uh, there's another relationship in your life and you're trying to examine what does it look like to obey God here. When we fear God and appreciate his holiness, it will cause us to obey him. It puts our life in perspective. It allows us to see our life as insignificant in comparison to God and his glory. I'm not saying that we are insignificant, but in comparison to the God of the universe, in comparison to the creator of the world, it allows us to find our space and to become obedient. Number two, we pass on our faith to families and in our relationship. When we fear God, we become obedient, but number two, we pass on our faith to our families and in our relationships. No one should fear the Lord. No one should have the fear of the Lord 
if it, don't, if it doesn't affect your lives and your relationships. All throughout Scripture, God instructs us to, uh, to raise up our children in the nurture and admission of God. Uh, all throughout Scripture, it, it teaches us to forgive and to love uh, one another. And a basic goal for all of us is that we should live by the principles of wisdom. So when we fear God, what ends up happening in our bodies, what ends up happening in our souls, in our minds is our faith becomes stronger and we end up passing that on to our families and our relationships. Third, when we fear God, we grow in sanctification. So this word sanctification, write this down. There's three things this word means. It means uh, to purify. It means to separate ourselves from sin. And it means to spiritually mature. When we grow in sanctification, we ourselves are being purified. We're separating ourselves from sin. And we're spiritually maturing. Uh, Psalms 19 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So when we fear God, it compels us to hate sin and avoid the world. When we fear God, it causes us to be careful in what we say. It protects us from weakening our conscience and our moral sensitivity towards what is right. The fear of the Lord has this cleansing, purifying, growing uh, effect in our lives. And then number four this morning, when we fear God, we worship wholeheartedly. Psalms 22 and verse 23 says this, You who fear the Lord... What's the command there? Praise him. People who truly fear God will praise and honor him as Lord of all. I will tell you this. The reason why some of us have a hard time singing out loud and worshiping out loud in a group of people is not because of the quality of our voice. It's not because of our inability or our ability or inability to keep rhythm. You know who you are. The reason we have a hard time singing and praising God is we're forgetting who the audience is. Our worship is for an audience of one. We have a worship team that leads us, and we have musicians that help uh, structure the songs, and we have uh, gifted people in the back to help uh, us hear the voices that are singing. But who we're singing to, who we're leading worship for, is an audience of one. And when we could look at, uh, I want you to think about Isaiah, back in Isaiah 6. I want you to think about the vision that he has about the Lord, on, uh, the Lord of hosts sitting on a throne, the train of his robe filling the temple, uh, the angels flying and saying, holy Holy is the Lord. Could you imagine if Isaiah's response was, I don't actually sing, Lord. No, 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 you don't understand. I don't sing out loud. In fact, I just, I worship on my own. I worship in my heart and I worship in my mind. Is it me or does that sound selfish? Yeah. Is it me or does that sound uh, self-centered. Help me out. Yeah. Our worship is for an audience of one. And so no matter how, how we sound, the Bible says this, he inhabits the praise of his people. And guess what? If you're not praising the Lord, where does he inhabit? 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. I'm so grateful for our, um, our, our, our ability to sing songs and, and to share in that ministry. Uh, look, at, look at Revelation 14. Good news, last verse. Revelation 14 says this. He said with a loud voice. In fact, let me set this verse up. At the end of history, we're in Revelation. For those of you who know, this is the last book in Scripture. At the end of history, when the angel who proclaims the eternal gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, Jesus calls everyone on earth to do these things. Revelation 14, verse 7. And he, Jesus says with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I'm so grateful for the time and effort spent by the dozen or so people on our worship team because they practice, they rehearse, they play, they sing, they review, they critique themselves. And then they do it all over again every week because at the core of who we are, we are a group of people submitted to a holy and righteous God who is worthy of our worship. And it's a holy, holy thing to worship our Lord, our God. The account of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 is sobering. Just like that, you know, 3,000 people are saved, 2,000 people are saved, two messages, the guys are in prison, they're released. And this one couple makes one mistake, and all of a sudden they're dead. His justice is swift, and it's complete. And yet what we will find out in the coming weeks is this. It does not stop the movement of the Holy Spirit among the people. It did not detract from God's work in the people. Because I'm telling you right now, if I preached a sermon on a Sunday morning, and two people... Right? I don't know how many people would be back next Sunday. As a direct result of the ministry of this church, if two people died. And you know what happens in the book of Acts? The righteousness, the holiness, the justice of God didn't detract from the message. There weren't less people coming to Jesus. In fact, the word of God grew and the word's not strong enough it multiplied in fact one of the coolest things we see happen in the book of acts chapter 5 in the next few verses you read it this week is uh all throughout the gospels when they were caught when they were um counting followers of jesus they would count men right they would count men and they would say there's five thousand men two thousand men five thousand were fed and all of this in fact, in Acts chapter 2, all you see is men being mentioned. One of the beautiful things that happens in Acts chapter 5, they start counting women as followers of Jesus Christ as well. Men and women. It's the first time women are included in the movement of Christianity, that they're counted among others. Why? Because there wasn't a head of household that determined the faith of a family anymore. Uh, the, faith of, uh, the faith of Jesus Christ was not... Uh, restricted to nations anymore or to heads of home, individuals were now given the opportunity to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through salvation and now become followers of Jesus Christ. 
This was after two people had died uh, for lying. This was after they lied to this Holy Spirit, after God's justice, after his, 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 his mercy uh, was, was uh, devoted to the rest of the people. More people surrendered their lives. More people became followers of Jesus Christ. So the solution in our lives for being more obedient with our relationship with Jesus Christ, the solution for our life to become more impactful in our relationships with one another, to be more sanctified, to grow, to be more wholehearted in our worship, the solution to all of that is a healthy understanding of the fear of God. And by fearing God, back to the beginning of your notes, we avoid being trapped by the pull toward going our own way, opposing God and succumbing to our ways of immorality. The reason we have such a difficult time with our faith sometimes is because we're constantly rebuilding our faith. We're constantly reconstructing our faith to match our perspective. And the danger of constantly reconstructing our faith to match our perspective is oftentimes our perspective is flawed. God is loving and he is. He's merciful and he's forgiving, but he's also just and he is righteous and his holiness. And you cannot embrace the one without acknowledging the other. And as soon as we do, our faith becomes skewed. It becomes heavy-handed in one way. And when it becomes heavy-handed in one way, it becomes ineffective in the other way. We must understand that God is both loving and he's just. And if you're here today and you're struggling with what that means and what that means for your life and where you're at in your life or your marriage or your, uh, in your relationship with God, we would love the opportunity to sit down and help you understand what that means. But he is loving, but he is also just. And when we appreciate that he is loving and just, there should wash over us an awe of his holiness that the God of all creation would choose to love us. The writer of John said it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why does that verse exist? Because God is loving, but he's also just, and he understands that he had to give his son so that we would have a way to understand and appreciate his love. And the only way we were going to do that is if God so loved the world. I love that John includes the word so. In fact, in every translation in the English language, when you translate that verse, it always includes the word so because for God loved the world doesn't quite explain it quite good enough. There's things in the world that I love and there's things in the world I so love. Understand what I'm talking about? Jesus so, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish. It's striking to me that the most famous verse in all of scripture, John 3.16, includes the word love and perish in the same verse. And it's because we have to reconcile his love and his justice. Well, if you're here today and you've never embraced both his love and his justice, I can think of no better day to do so. Where you get to embrace for yourself that, yes, God is loving, 
but I recognize he's holy. And in his holiness, I recognize that I'm a sinner. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned, we've come short of the glory of God. What that means is this, there is a mark of holiness. There is a target of holiness of Jesus' character, of God's character, his righteousness, and we have fallen short of that mark. Romans says it this way, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. What that means is I can stand up here and say I'm a sinner, and I fully embrace that fact. But Romans also says this, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Shoo-wee, when we fully understand the holiness of God, can I tell you what that does? It makes me fully appreciate the love of God. Because outside of his holiness, I would never be able to earn his love. Outside of his holiness, I would never be able to earn my own way into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But because he is both loving and just, I can say I fully acknowledge that I've come short of the glory of God. But now I recognize that and I fully embrace his love. This is what we see in the book of Acts for the next 22, 21 chapters. We see this amazing journey of the church who fully recognizes both the holiness and the love of God. And so throughout the book of Acts, as you study with us, you're going to see this. And the fear of God settled upon the church. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something that should make us frightened. It is something that should make us excited that they comprehended that God is both loving and he's just. And in that, he gives us a way to know him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray it's my prayer that you would fill in the gap that you would fill in the gaps of what we just talked about today. This understanding the balance between your love and your justice. It's a big heavy concept, Lord. It's this big, gigantic um, understanding of your character, of who you are. And I truly, truly believe, Lord, that we can, when we understand who you are, it'll change how we live our life. When we understand who you are, Lord, getting up and going to church on Sunday isn't that big of an ask. When we recognize who you truly are, Lord, taking a few moments to pray, to look at scripture isn't a big ask. In fact, when we recognize who you are, loving our wife, loving our kids, being kind, generous, compassionate, isn't that big of an ask anymore. because of what you have done for us. Holy Spirit, would you, would you fill us? Would we have a healthy understanding of the fear of God?
And Lord, with the fear of God, would it change our lives, Lord? Would it cause us to have a new way to look at relationships? And I pray that when we get to the place when we can appreciate your character, that we would be in awe of your holiness. I'm so convicted and moved when I read Isaiah 6, Lord, and I just, um, I want to have that Isaiah type of awe that hears, holy, holy is the Lord and recognizes, woe is me. And Lord, it's my prayer that the recognition of your holiness would produce a stronger faith in our lives. Lord, I'm praying for a church family that just becomes obedient to the next thing you have us to grow in. I pray that we would be a church family that simply passes on our faith to our families and in our relationships. That we would grow in sanctification, that our lives would be purified, that we would grow spiritually. And Lord, I pray for a church that worships wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.